As I walked on through Chatham Street, a fair maid I did meet. She asked me to see her home, she looked in bleak, straight to me away. Sandy, my dear Annie, oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? The Long Haul Podcast, America's Irish Voice. Interviews with inspiring immigrants, renowned Irish personalities, and discussions on all things Irish America. Presented by Michael Dorgan and Johnny Kennedy. Really, my first trip was like a big eye opener and went back for the second summer and I was like, right, this is my path now. In this week's episode, we speak to real estate broker Shane Boyle, who talks to us about the New York City real estate and rental market and how COVID-19 has impacted prices. Shane is from Killybegs in Donegal and first came to America on a J1 in 2008 before moving permanently to New York City in 2012 in pursuit of his American dream. He initially worked as a bartender before making the move into the real estate game and has never looked back. Shane currently works for Team Carte Blanche at Triple Mint and can be contacted through his Instagram handle at ShaneXBoyle or on LinkedIn for any inquiries. Our Instagram handle is at the Long Haul Podcast, and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And all of our previous episodes are up on thelonghaulpodcast.com. Shane kicked off the show by telling us about his fondness for America and what led him to move into the real estate business and grind out a successful career in the industry. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, lads. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, originally from Kelly Beggs. Um, small fishing town in the north coast, northwest coast of Donegal. Um, would have been a big football in town. Uh, done very well in the nineties. Um, we got to a couple of finals in my time, but never won them unfortunately. And um, came out here in two thousand and twelve to New York. And what did you do in college before you left, or where did you go to to study? Was was real estate always in the back of your mind? What was the, the goal no, earlier? definitely not. Um, went to college in Sligo. I had a three-year course in sports and rec. Took me five years right. to do it. <laughs> and that's how good Sligo was. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyone that knew me back in Sligo would know uh, plenty of references to that one. Um, and then I came out, I've done a couple of um, playing, playing football in Chicago. So I'd done that for two summers in 2008 and 2009. And I really got a love for America through that. Um, really, my first trip was like a big eye opener and went back for the second summer. And I was like, right, this is my path now. Um, didn't have much interest in Australia. England was kind of too close. Um, it was always America. I love the whole mentality, positive thinking. Good for you instead of an Ireland was like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> that was on a uh, Sligo. Yeah. <laughs> so you I, came I out with really J1s first, it. was it? You came, out J- you came out for a summer first in a J1, was it? And then came back again. And yeah, that's... we didn't even do the J1s. I, I was playing football, so there wasn't much work to it. Um, so we just came out for the four months, I think it was. Um, I came back then, we, we were playing the finals. We ended up winning the Chicago championship twice and came back for the finals in Boston. Uh, I got to a final, I got to a semi-final. Um, and then finished off my last year in Sligo. So that opened me up to the graduate visa. 
Um, it took me almost about 11 months to get over here with everything, playing football at home. And I was in and out of the county team back then. And um, we were on our last month. A very good friend of mine, Sean Dowds at the time. And we were sitting in his living room. I think we had about six or seven days left for the 12 months. And visa that there was about six seven days left in it and we said right i have to get back to america here this is my chance and we said where will we go and we said well we've been to chicago let's try new york so we tried new york and we booked the flight then and there we were out a couple of days after it and that was it i always knew like i, I said my goodbyes to my parents and all I, I i just knew i wouldn't be back after that this was it when was that around 20 2012 November 2012. 2012. So we landed here. It was day three of Sandy. And thinking back oh, in it, I don't even know how we got in because the city was in complete darkness. And uh, flew in anyway. We we didn't even know there was anything going on. Knew no better. <laughs> and um, <Typical> Irish. <laughs> yeah, sure, and Tony Garland just won the All Ireland a couple of months earlier. And in the Abbey Hotel that night, I don't even remember this. Uh, I met a guy, CJ Malloy who was um, in America at the time. He's back at home in Ireland now. But I met him in the Abbey that night after the All-Ireland. Maybe it might have been the Monday night. And I was telling him I'm coming over. I want to come over to New York. And he said, sure, I'll pick you up at the airport. <laughs> and I got a message on Facebook a couple of weeks after. He's like, are you still going to come to New York? I was chatting to him in the Abbey a couple of nights <laughs> after the All-Ireland. And I was like, geez, yeah, we're thinking about it. If I book a flight, will you pick me up? <laughs> and he did. Um, and he picked me up, picked myself and Sean off, up at the airport and dropped us off to a, um, we were staying in a hostel on 33rd and 3rd, um, right by the Joshua tree on the corner. Oh yeah. And like literally there was no electricity on the place that we were staying in. We were going around with our iPhone torches and, uh, we went out for the night then and the bars were hopping, no credit cards, all cash. And. We thought this is the best place in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and we done that for a good week of drinking and then we were no money left and we're like, shit, what do we do now? <laughs> it's even better than Sligo. <laughs> yeah, well, we're just picking up from Sligo, so it was. Uh, but that was, our, that was our welcome to America. It was uh, very surreal, very, very surreal. And then the, uh, the city started to come back into electricity and stuff like that then. We were picked up. I was in contact with the Donegal GA guys. So Pat McGill picked me up um, from the host from the hostel. Where our stay was up there. So <laughs> took us up to the Heritage. And um, we made our way then. We got a rent. I, I was on a couch for probably about three months. Um, and that got old very fast. Um, up around the, uh, hanging around the tombstone a bit too much up in Woodlawn. And then we got our own rental then set up. We were probably about five, four or five months in at that stage and got our own rental stayed up. We got a three bedroom. And then another good friend of mine came out from Killy Beggs, Paul McGinley. And um, we, yeah, we took it from there. We were in a three bedroom up in Woodlawn. And what, where, what line of work did you start off in? Uh, construction, laboring, okay. the worst work you could ever imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, um, a guy from... Uh, Kildare that was over us and he didn't go easy on us at all and he gave us the worst work on the site every single day I'll never forget it we were down on 25 Broad Street down on Wall Street so we had to take the bus to the four train then down to Wall Street and we were taking 25 foot uh, steel studs up 
the stairs because they wouldn't fit in the elevator up to the penthouse. <laughs> so we done that for months. <laughs> it was the worst work ever. <laughs> Very depressing work. And of course, we were always hungover going into it. <laughs> and uh, I, I stuck that out for a good 11 months. Sean, the guy that was with me, he kind of graduated on to the carpentry. <laughs> but I, was, uh, I stayed behind on the labor and I was never good at it. And then eventually I said to myself, here, this is not me. I had to get out of this. And uh, I always, uh, I was very in-depth with drinking and uh, the bartending. So I reached out to a couple of boys. I probably reached out to Johnny at one point and said, here, how can I get into this? And I started bartending then. Okay. And how did you get into uh, real estate? Um. I see, so how, many I, year, how many years were you bartending then before you I got into it? I bartended for a couple of years, um, maybe three or four. All right. And that really opened me up, actually. It really opened up my personality. Got a lot of confidence from that and was making really good money as well. And I was flying in it. And then it started towards the end of the bartending. I kind of, I think with every bartender, you kind of think to yourself, okay, where's my next point of call here? I don't want to be behind the sticks for too long, longer. And I didn't want to head into my thirties and, and say to myself, I'm not, I'm still bartending here. Even though I was in great money, I just, I needed something more for myself. So I looked into it, started partnering up with other people. Usually you'll have someone that's here longer that has money behind them that will throw something at you if you're a good lad, you know, and you'll run the bar. And we had a couple of places lined up, was ready to sign a lease on one of them. It was on uh, around the thirties on third Ave beside Grand Central. And I took a step back and I said, you know what? I really don't like this lifestyle at all. And as Johnny knows, it's like going into the 4 a.m. And then you start drinking there. And then it was really, I was doing a lot of it at the time. And I was like, I need to take a step back here. I don't want this to be my next 15 years of my life. Um, And I was having a a lot of issues with drinking back then as well. And I said, you know what, here, I need to take a different career path. And around the same time, a very good friend of mine who was bartending at the time, Shane Mahar, he rented an apartment in the Upper West Side and this broker approached them and he said, look, um, you look like you'd be good in real estate, you have a good personality for it. If you and any of your friends have any interest in getting into real estate, but I'll, I just set up my own company, I'll pay for your license, would you get into it? So he called me up, I'll never forget it, it was like <clears> Wednesday <throat> or Tuesday or Wednesday, 12 of 1 o'clock, I was living in Hell's Kitchen at the time dying just finished up probably from a night on the beer and he goes here this guy that just rented me the apartment said he'd pay for our license um do you want to do it you're always kind of mentioning you want to get out of the bar you like real estate you'd probably be good at it you're good with people um i said yeah we give it a go and he said right well get yourself together there the class starts in an hour <laughs> and i said oh man i'm dying like can we do this some other time and he's like no it's now and so I pulled myself together with the first <laughs> class. Um, and then I finished it up in about three weeks. Here, you just need to do 70 or 75 hours of classwork. So he didn't really get into it. Took him a couple of months to, to finish his course, but I, I really took to it and I really got a love for it. And I was licensed within about two or three weeks and signed for that brokerage. And I was his first agent. And um, I was kind of like, what now? And um, he was a crazy, um, eccentric cowboy hat, cowboy boots, not your typical real estate broker. Um, and he kind of 
sent me on up to a landlord in the Upper West Side who had a bunch of apartments, and I just kind of took it from there. That was kind of the start of it. It was very good forward thinking, Shane, just to go back to the bartending. Like, I'm not knocking it. There's a lot of you and I know a lot of bartenders that didn't have the same path you when I had. Because mine was similar to the way you described it. <clears throat> it was very much forward thinking, even that be younger than 30, when you realized a couple of years in, you were like, this is going to end one way for me and one way only if I keep at this. Like, you know, uh, it, fair play to you. Like, it's a, you take, and to walk away, like going into a real estate, you knew of it, but you didn't know. You like, you know yourself, certain bartending jobs are like a salary. Yeah. You know what you're going to make every week, pretty much. Like, you're not going to be too far off. It. You, just you don't take up. off. Yeah, if you don't take off the good nights, you're always going to make good bank. Fair play to you. Like, it was great credit to actually have the. Yeah, it was very hard. I, I remember distinctly, and I don't want to ever forget it. I remember <clears throat> how scary it was at the time. But I also, there was something inside of me, like, that knew that. I just that needed a change. I mean, the, the, the bartending lifestyle is aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> especially if you have that personality like I have. <clears throat> and there's no limits, you know. And in, Plus, in a city there's like. So many, there's so many other people doing it with you. It normalizes it. Yeah. Like, there's no Very shortage of lads. Like, like, if you were, let's just say, for instance, you were in a slug or something, you're in college. You'd be the only one maybe on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. So <laughs> it'd be very easy to catch yourself. Not easy to catch yourself on, but it'd be a lot easier to see it. Whereas it, New York, it's always this, oh, Monday night, you have bartender's night. And that's, oh, Tuesday night, you're such and such a bar. And you're like, oh, is that Friday, fucking Saturday, Sunday? Are they not bartender nights as well? Like, Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's very easy. Fair play to you. Yeah. I remember <clears> that, right, the hardest part was probably leaving the, the cash and leaving the money. Yeah, Going into real estate where it's 100% commission, you know, there's no salary, there's no benefits. Not that there was in bartending, but you knew in bartending, all you had to do was be there and get into the bar, and you knew you were going to leave with some sort of money in your back pocket. Where it's completely different in real estate, it's very much eat what you kill. So you but made it's a more clean break. It's more, sorry, Mike, it's more structure. You're getting your money in. In real estate, like you, Shane said, you've gone over now, I'm sure you know. Uh, you explained this to me before. All bartending, when you were doing it, was all cash. And then yeah. you got your credit cards, but your credit card tips, you took them at the end of the night, generally. Yeah. So you got them anyway, and then you got your lovely tax bill. And like in, you know, January, <laughs> February, you, you were like, tax number, yeah. You were like, why am I getting that tax bill? Because you left every night with your wages. That's why. But like, I'd even talk to Chris there, this with us in the long haul, and Chris and I bartended together, and now he'd be obviously bartending more so. But Chris says he never saved as well now because your credit cards automatically go into your bank account. Most bartenders didn't even have a bank account, regardless of their status. Even if you had a status, you didn't need a bank account. Yeah, the most, majority of the time, you didn't even know how much money you were making. You know, you didn't know what you made at the end of the week pocket. because you left with X amount in your pocket on a Tuesday night. Let's as we just. But if you were in a bar, say where you got cut early or it was an early closing bar, how much did you actually get home with? But yeah. <laughs> No, that, that, was was pro- yeah. that was definitely the problem. When I look back at it, that being my biggest one. Just too much too much cash down, stupid, but it was just too loose. I'd have much preferred a structure model where it went straight into your bank account. You couldn't take it over. Your direct debits going up. Like I said, Chris and Paul and all, even the girls that me now, it's the best structure they've ever had in the service industry. For people that have been in it for years, they wish I had been there for years. Sure, then how would I buy $1,000 Super Bowl? Boxes? Whoops, sorry, lads. Yeah. There you go. Once I mentioned Super Bowl, it went for a run. Sorry, that's it. Anyway, uh, did you make a clean break from the bartending, Sasha, to get into real estate? 
You didn't um, like... No, I didn't because I needed the money. Yeah, I was thinking... And I had good money saved from the bartending, but I... Real estate is hard. It's very hard. And it's very, like there's 50 to 60,000 real estate agents and everybody knows a real estate agent. Everybody has a family member or a cousin or their best friend that's an agent in the city. So getting in at the start when you have basically no connections at all, um, it's very hard. So I needed to, I was working in um, the Five Mile Stone. A good friend of mine was managing it at the time. And he gave me the weekend shifts in there. So I was doing right. the date Monday to Friday. And then I would go in Friday nights at 10 p.m. And we'd work to about five or six by the time we got home. Done that Friday and Saturday. Um, and I was very much like, it was hard then as well because I was working all week, going Friday night. And then I'd show apartments Saturday, going Saturday night, and I'd show apartments Sunday. Sunday's the biggest day in real estate because everybody's off work. Yeah. And that's when everybody wants to see apartments and when everybody has time. Yeah, so come Monday, I was wrecked. So you were flat out for, uh, initially for the first couple of months? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it took me about probably a year and a half of that, yeah. yeah. By the time I was able to sustain an income on real estate to... Like it, it took me probably six, seven months in real estate to get my first check. Whoa. Yeah. And if Football I was getting your first sale, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it took even longer for the first sale. <laughs> for the first sale? Oh, that was a rental. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Usually as a new agent, you start off in rentals, lower barrier entry, more than likely your friends are all renters. I mean, it's, it's hard to get into that sales bracket where your circle of people are able to put down hundreds of thousands of dollars you know okay um different cattlefish and just go back to when you came out here did you uh you mentioned pat mcgill did you, did you play a bit of football here with Donegal club and was were they did they help you get along with your career or how, how did that yeah well it was Donegal that got me set up with my accommodation when we first landed and they right. got set up with um the construction company as with titanium with uh tony o'donnell <laughs> They got me set up in that. And um, yeah, and I, and I played with them a couple of years. We won, uh, I think, two championships with them out here. Uh, but they were great. Like, I, I would have been lost without them. And um, we ended up partner ways then towards the end of it. Down. <laughs> <laughs> Probably personality clashes. Uh, but <laughs> but even, still, still very good friends. It's just a GA. When I came out here first, it was, where's the, where's the, where's the first GA club that I can join? You know, it's just yeah. a great avenue for people. Ah, it's and, incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. You know, it's, even if you don't play football, I encourage any, any male or female like to get into that community. You know, they're very, um, it's very rewarding and they're very helping towards our, our own. Yeah, we'd need Manhattan and... Gales. Manhattan Gales is great for that, Michael, isn't it? Like when you look, I've met some of them people, never played football in their life, some of them never will. And especially female aspect, the amount of them involved in all that, I was blown away by that. Like I was assumed GEA was just lads in the football and then they get into it. But when I've seen a couple of them events, like with the groups of them, and I met two or three people at them and they didn't know anyone else came to New York and got straight in with Manhattan Gales. That's massive. Yeah, it's, it's great for to the see. most part out here, it's, a little, it's not even about the football for the most part. Yeah. It's just about the, the community. Yeah. It's about the people inside that club. And every club's the same. You know, they're all good people in there and they're all willing to help because I think for the most part of it, they can see if you're a new person coming out, they know what that feels like because they went through it themselves. And I, I'm the same. I'm here now eight years, going on nine years. And it's um, 
anybody that comes out new is like, oh, I remember them days, so I'll try to help them. And that's kind of what yeah. the community is out here in the GA. It's great. Yeah, the man like the was there last off. year, Johnny. They, they, they had like 40 people on the squad. The girls, just the girls team that won the yeah. county. And I think it was only 13 aside in the end last year, and there was 40 of them there. And I was at the final, and they were the girls on the bench. A lot of them hadn't, it was their first time even playing, ever. Yeah, I spoke to one or two of them, yeah. and they said they'd never played. They'd never down. played. Yeah. But it's a great network. We're not going to get onto it now, but as we've said yeah. on this many times on it, uh, Michael, like New York, it's, a, it's an extremely lonely city. Like, can you imagine arriving in, like, like obviously, you know, and lads generally like, you know, will come in groups. The lads will come together and they kind of stick together until they fall out eventually or whatever. But it's huge. Yeah. And I've seen that similar. I think it was over around there, Michael, for the semi-final or something. And I've seen the amounts of these girls showing up for Shannon Gale. I was like, he's got three games today, girls, or something like that. <laughs> Some of them said they'd never played before, but they were just absolutely buzzing yeah. at the idea. Something to do, two nights a week, going training, and then the match. And so what if they don't do it? Brilliant to see. Yeah, like, yeah all them guys. Irish, the Irish Tinder. Yeah, all them guys. <laughs> all them guys that I met, like that, them first couple of years with Donegal and up in Woodlawn. And I mean, they're still my closest friends today. Yeah. We had Neil O'Dowd on last week and he said he gave to Chicago in 1978 and the first person... The first thing he did was join a football club, and they got him set up initially. And look, the, the influence the influence yeah. he's had on Irish America since. All right, well, let's get stuck into the the real estate market, so Shane, and tell us, <coughs> tell us what's going on now. And first of all, what what kind of estate was the real estate market here, like in New York pre COVID? Like last March, was it plateauing? I from a general sense, or where was it, and what's happened? Yeah, since? there's so many different. What's it's very hard to paint the New York real estate market with one brush because it's so micro-focused into neighborhoods and then it's micro-focused even into buildings and building type. Uh, for the most part here, you have condos and co-ops. So you have the condo market had been, well, both markets had been on a downward trajectory since the top of the market, which was 15, 16. Um, so prices had been slowly but surely dropping since that. Um, and it's interesting looking back at my career when I got into it in 2016. It was the top of the market, but I didn't know no better. And I wasn't in sales anyway. So I, I kind of got into sales the last two, two and a half years where we're, we've gone into a downward market. And I, I felt it personally because it's just deals are harder to come by. And it's... Um, it's been tougher, but yeah, then COVID hit and it was like, whoa. <laughs> and it's, it's been a, a roller coaster of the last however long it's been, almost a year now, yeah. Is it primarily residential you're involved in? wouldn't be commercial, residential, is it? Primarily residential. Residential would be my bread and butter, yeah. And my love for real estate is probably in the commercial side, in the multifamily side and in the buildings. Um, but you kind of, uh, you stick to your own lane. I'm at a residential company and I'm in a residential team, so. Um, and where's your, what areas do you cover? What's your beat? Is it Queens, you were saying, and a bit of the city or? I, well, I'm, I'm mostly in the city. I'm mostly in the Upper East Side. Upper East Side, Upper West. I'll do a okay. little bit of Midtown. I mean, you're licensed for technically the whole of New York State. Um, okay. It's hard to cover everywhere. So um, I'm mostly in the Upper East Side, Upper West. <laughs> And then I have um, Sunnyside as well. I love Sunnyside in Queens. <laughs> so, but three Irish young fellas come up to you now next week and they're living in Woodlawn or Story or something like mm. that. And they're like, Shane, we want to move to the West Village. 
Mm. Are they getting value now if they want to go live in the West Village or whatever Lower East Side now? And what kind of offers are they getting? Like you hear all this first three months free, first four months free and all this. Yeah, I mean, the rental market is insane. The rental market is just incredible. If you're ever looking to get into a nice rental right now, now is the time and now has been the time. Uh, The inventory levels are through the roof. I'm on, we had meetings the last couple of weeks and I have a meeting this week with one of the biggest landlords in the city um, that we're pitching to take over their portfolio. And I mean, they have, 180 to 190 vacancies right now where usually they're down on 20 or 30 at any given time and they're doing two months for free paying the broker fee um but kind of the rental market have been kind of going towards that way as well where broker fees were coming out of it in terms of the tenants were paying broker fees where now it's shifted to it's kind of unheard of where it's all on the landlord which Nearly every place in, in the States, it was always on the landlord, but because there was so much demand in New York for renters and for rentals, then there, it was usually the, the commission was paid by the tenant coming in. But for the three Irish lads, answer your question, as long as they have paperwork sorted and they have, because it's very hard, for the most part in New York, you need your, your social security number, you need your credit status up above the 700 and above, and you need um, your tax returns and your pay stubs to get into a rental. But that's likely to stay like that for a while as regards the value for them, isn't it? Like Finson met a couple of young fellas. Finson and Kev have the lads across from Haswell's there, and he said met these two young fellas a couple of months ago, and like they're in a doorman building on, what's what's across from the lads, 8th Avenue they're on? Yeah. Uh, I think they're paying like less than 2000 Yeah. And they're told it's 12 months, but like even the broker had said to them, and I've spoke to a few of them and said, in 12 months' time, that landlord will still, it'll, that same value will still be there. Because some of the landlords, I think, are only offering like a 12, are they only offering a 12 month lease with this two months free or stuff like that? And then people are concerned, they want longer, but the brokers have told them, and I'm not sure they're not bullshitting them. They're basically saying, don't worry, in 12 months' time, he'll be begging you to stay there. So you know, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. I'm saying that to every landlord that we represent, they're asking for advice. What should we do with these prices? We have tenants coming up. Should we hold on to them? Should we try to get somebody else in you? And I, my advice is like, and this isn't within my best interest because I make money on, on the transaction and renting. Keep or what you have. Selling. But I'm just like, look, just keep the tenant. You know, that's your main priority for the next hmm. at least 12 months, 18 months is keep the tenant because if you don't, it's very hard today to get these apartments filled because the demand's just not there, you know? Shane, in, in, like over the summer, I heard that a lot of people who like own buildings in Manhattan, the rich people from uh, of the city moved to the Hamptons or whatever, and they kind of stayed there. They went up to Connecticut. But there was a lot of renters <clears> then who would have been living and working in the city that they moved out to the likes of Astoria, Long Island City, which in case people don't know, it's to the, to the west of uh, the island of Manhattan, Queens out there because you're getting better amenities and you're getting probably a bigger apartment. Is, would it be fair to say that maybe more space, more value for your money and that yeah. the, the city has become that more vacancies then in the city? It, it's funny. That is true. And there has been, I guess the key word is max exodus. And, and the city was quiet for a while and it still is around midtown is still pretty much dead because there's no, um, offices open or there's no corporate yeah. people around but at the same time i would say on that point probably 
80%, 85% of my business now is first time home buyers. And a lot of times it is people that have been renting in the city. And now they're looking at, well, because interest rates are so low and money is so cheap, why would we pay 4,000 on our rent when we can cover that on a mortgage? And we have the down payment now, you know, we've been working from home. We haven't had much expenditure for the last 12 months. So mm-hmm. we have our down payment in place. We're going to get qualified. And um, so Yes, a lot of people has left to kind of get bigger places, but we've been really, really active and busy with people on the other end where they're saying, you know what, I'm going to be in New York for the long term. I'm going to be here for the next five, six years. And now's my chance to to own a piece of the rock, you know, and now's my chance to get in where I couldn't afford something like this two years ago. Yeah. Well, I just uh, to correct myself there, Queens is to the east of Manhattan. Early morning Let's podcast slide. there. Oh, yeah, I, was I, was <laughs> I can see Shane. I can see Shane's face when you said it. He's like, it's he eight thirteen. It's eight thirteen a.m. here for people who are listening back. We have to get up very early. To, we have to get up very early to accommodate Shane this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Some not as early as others. We we'll let that slide. Go on. I got. I got a shift to blame somehow. But is it is it hard for people then to get? Uh, are the banks giving out mortgages, Shane? What's the the situation? Yeah, it's now? definitely got stricter. Um, the more traditional lenders like Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, it, it's definitely got got harder on the requirements. And um, but as long as your your DTI, your debt to income ratio, is below the like thirty percent, so that's your your they're going to calculate that on your common charges and taxes plus your mortgage payment, whatever that equates to. And divided by your income, as long as that's under your thirty percent, then you're usually good um, and getting qualified. And if you have the down payment, um, there's a little bit more that comes into the transaction as well. Most co-ops here in the city will require twelve months post-liquid assets. So after your down payment, um, you need twelve months of liquidity for your mortgage payments and your um, common charges and taxes as well. But um, what are people generally looking to buy? Are they looking to buy like a one bed, two beds, uh, condo? What, what is it? And what's the kind of general asking price for it now? Yeah. Um, well, for me, I, I'm mostly in Upper East Side, Upper West Side. And to be honest, Upper East Side's for sale right now. Um, the deals that people are getting, I'm quite envious of. <laughs> um, people are getting usually, what people are looking for, usually there's a lot of, a lot of couples, you know, that are, probably looking to start a family or maybe have a kid or they're looking for that second bedroom for a home office because everybody's working from home now. And you'll have a lot up here on the housing stock up here. You'll have a lot where you'll have the the dining alcove. So they'll convert that alcove into the office space or or a nursery or second bedroom. And usually the price points around that, you can get a co-op for seven to 800,000. What was that 12 months ago? Uh, they were touching, well, not 12 months ago, two years ago. I mean, they've been coming down probably since around 950, 950, 900. And now you can pick something up for 700, maybe even lower. And I mean, we're, I've done three deals the last six months where on purchase, they're making over 100,000. Just if they wait it out for the next couple of years, that how much that value is going to come up. What's what's it? Can you explain to us the the concept behind a co-op in terms of re- real estate chain? Yeah, so a co-op. Nosy neighbor. What's that? 
a nosy neighbor. Yeah. In a co-op. Well, co-op is a, a, a cooperative. Yeah. So it's not the same as a condo mm-hmm. where you'll have your deed and title. In the co-op, you'll have a proprietary lease. And that lease is for the apartment that you're living in. And so the corporation owns the building um, instead of where you'll own your own individual unit. So then in a co-op, you'll have uh, a co-op board, just like you'd have a, a co-op um, <clears throat> operative board. You'll go and you'll do the interview to the board to get into the building. Um, uh, probably about 70% of Manhattan housing stock is cooperative. And it's usually about 20 to 15% less expensive than condos. So that's what makes them very attractive. But they have a lot more rules in, in the co-op. And the subletting policy is a lot tighter. Usually you can only sublet after about two years, maybe not at all. Uh, where a condo, you can sublet from day one. So it's not as investor friendly. If you're looking for an investment property, you're going down the condo route. Uh, so co-ops are usually primary residence. Um, but you're leasing the apartment from the cooperative that owns the building. So uh, so if you're on the, the east side, the upper east side, Shane, they're, uh, generally speaking, they're like uh, older properties, aren't they? <laughs> Because like we we had we moved last August we were out in Sunnyside and we moved to Long Island City and it uh, was kind of an industrial pit really for years and now it's all high rise new apartments great amenities we wanted to move into the city but my wife Laura she works in the fitness industry and there's a brilliant gym downstairs I loved moving to the city but they're kind of older smaller buildings in a general sense even though you are close to Central Park and all that. So is it generally older buildings that you deal with there? No, not necessarily. No, you just need a good broker, Michael. That's a, that's the problem. <laughs> I should have met he you earlier. Small, he said smaller and he's sitting in his toilet on this podcast. Look. <laughs> 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 um, no, not really. I mean, there's. I'm in a co-op right now. I live in a co-op and it's not old by any means. I mean, most of the, the housing stock in Manhattan are in anywhere from 1920 to 1950, probably, um, built. Uh, obviously, the new high-rises are all condos and they're new development. Um, they were started in the late noughties. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you can get into a co-op that's been really nicely renovated and has all the amenities and it is okay. updated. Um, but then you're probably going to pay for that as well. It all kind of depends on where your budget is taking you. And your budget probably reflects... Most so, it's the biggest deciding factor of where you're going to live. You know, okay. but, I know, I know, it's not your field, Shane, as such. But in the commercial end, I'm sure you've lads ringing you there now. I do get lads there. You have the younger bartender lads now that were like you back in the day. They're looking for the uh, looking for the value, and you have the bar owner. Do you see much value in them as well? Or I'm sure you yeah. can throw your eye on it because of the lads. No, I'm. I'm yeah, I get them phone calls as well. I I like to kind of be in touch with everything that's going I'm on, sure, even yeah. though I'm not transacting it as much in that. I just like to know it for myself, for um, conversational pieces more than anything. But so I'm I'm usually well educated in that as well. Yeah, that. The commercial leasing and the restaurant leasing space is, I mean, there's some crazy deals going on right now for sure. You're, you could get up to a year's free rent, you know, just signing on. Um, and landlords need it, you know, because if you have a vacant building there and your tax season is coming up just past or just coming up now, like where's this money coming from? You know, it's the, the city isn't helping you and the political scene isn't doing anything for you here. So, and there's there's loads of deals. I mean, there's vacancies everywhere. 
And so what are what are land for the just for residential? What are landlords offering now? Is are they coming down with the two months rent free on top of your twelve? Yeah, months? so even I meet with a landlord um, this week, and what we're telling them, I've, I've done all my research at the weekend on their competitors and a standard what everybody is expecting now is for the landlord to pay the broker fee and to get at least one month free. Okay. And um, out in Long Island City, where you are, Michael, I mean, there's some of the buildings there. There, I've, I've seen up to eight months for free. On eight a, months. Eight months for free on a three-year deal. Um, I've seen four months. It's all over the board. It depends really on how aggressive that landlord is and how much under pressure they are and how much vacancies they are. And if they have a lot of debt on the building, they need income for this building to pay off their debt. Some landlords are in good position, even though they have high vacancies, they're okay. And maybe they have other assets that are able to float that building. Um, so they're not giving away that, that much incentives or that much um, free months or, or whatever it is. But it's all across the board. You know, it, it depends on the neighborhood and then depends on the individual landlord. Yeah, there's a couple of high rises here, and I was just reading last week for my own work that there was they used they were at ninety percent capacity, and they're down to fifty percent uh, capacity now. But the the actual developer is saddled with this, so they took out massive bank loans to, to build the property, and now people are leaving, so they're under pressure to just get people in there. Yeah, well, the, the demograph for a lot of these high rises as well, especially out in Long Island City, or in any of the fully amenitized buildings, even in Manhattan, would have been the mid-20-year-old that was just out of college or maybe they were going to college in the city um, and they wanted the, all the bells and whistles for these apartments. They're not necessarily in New York today because they don't need to be because yeah. their college can take them. You can do it remote um, or their job can be remote. So that's why they're seeing all these big vacancies and they're not cheap apartments either by any means. So yeah. you're, you're seeing, I mean... I'm a good friend of mine, Luke Joyce, who's at another farm, um, Real New York, and he's has a couple of nice buildings in Astoria and in Long Island City, and he, they're doing some great deals, you know. Okay, and so is is there a kind of a push so from the city? People are just going going out to the likes of Queens, Astoria, moving out from the city houses. And um, there was during the the kind of lockdown and during probably mid twenty twenty, but now you know deals are so good in Manhattan. Yeah. And for people that always wanted to live in Manhattan and like I moved a couple of our friends um, that were in Sunnyside into Manhattan and they were paying cheaper Uh rent in Manhattan than they were in Sunnyside. Really? (laughs) No, that just shows you where the rental market is in Manhattan today. I mean, Manhattan is just, prices are rock bottom. I think people have a better idea how their work situation is now. Initially, people are like, what's going to happen? And now they're... If they're working in the office, they know they know if the company is going to survive. They know they're a bit more settled. Like initially, people didn't know what was going on. It depends on your your industry. Yeah. But uh, how has your work changed, uh, Shane? So, like, obviously, you're going out showing people. You have to show people the property all the time. Did you have to do a lot of virtual kind of um, shows, or what? 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 what, yeah. did, what how? How has your day to day work changed? Yeah, good question. Um... And it's funny because before COVID happened, I was always on video and I was always taking videos of apartments. I was always doing 3D tours. And then when COVID hit, it was like all these um, agents were like, how the hell do we do all this? I can't believe all this extra work. And I was like, we're just not doing this already. (laughs) You know? And so 
it has changed a lot. I mean, people expect now a level of virtual experience just right off the bat, uh, meaning they want their 3D virtual walkthrough tours. Yeah. Uh, they want their videos. They want probably a FaceTime before they go see it. So there's a lot more work now that you have to go out and into these environments before actually meeting someone. What's the most difficult thing is the masks, I find, because it's very hard to build rapport with someone when you don't even know what they look like and they can, you can't see their face and you can't read their body language. And it's funny, you can go and guide someone at making their biggest purchase of their life and build a really strong connection of them, but you don't know what they look like. <laughs> and then maybe at the closing table or you do uh, a virtual meeting or you somehow see their face and, and it's funny, you know, you've been working with this person for months and now it's the first time seeing their face. It's, uh, it's weird. You have a fairly big following on uh, Instagram. You have like nearly 5,000 followers. So is that like, do you do a lot of your work through Instagram? How important is social media in your line of work? Yeah, it's huge. Are you just just super popular in general? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got a couple of articles wrote wrote in the the New York papers and it kind of skyrocketed from that. Um, But they weren't weren't good articles. (laughs) Um, But anyway... They, um, yeah, social media is massive, massive. And especially in today's world, because you're not going to networking events, you're not going to bars, you're not going to restaurants to meet people. Um, how else can you be seen today? You know, you yeah. have me on social and Instagram, and I love LinkedIn as well. Um, they've been massive for just networking with people. And, and it's so easy today, you know, people can just drop you a DM out of nothing and people kind of, feel like they know you already without ever meeting you yeah. so it's a lot softer and um, I, I love instagram and, and linkedin as well i say it's funny and um, i always get stick every time i go home about my instagram <laughs> <laughs> all the boys on my videos <laughs> what did they be saying about the... uh, typical irish slagging you know they'll yeah. never uh, they'll never pat you on the back <laughs> actually when we were looking to move uh, the videos were very informative when we were looking around there last year, you know, just people, they were just going in and just to give it a little walking tour of the, of yeah, the, the apartment. Yeah, if they're done they're right, like, you can get a very good sense of size and a very good sense of the apartment. I mean, well, for me anyway, it's pretty easy except this is my job, but I think for most, even millennials today, they kind of have a very good understanding on how yeah. to see an apartment through a video. And even if it's a live video, I mean, we're doing FaceTimes as well. And if you want to go back through and open up the cabinets in the kitchen or into the bathroom and see our actual, or go back into this room, you know, and you can do all that from the comfort of your home. So um, it, it's definitely changed. To answer your previous question, it, it's definitely changed. And there's a lot more um, paperwork involved. To get into a building now, to do a showing now, you have to have COVID forms and you have to have um, all these different disclosures just to get in. Johnny's having technical Sorry. difficulties. Sorry about that, boys. I did a hiatus there. I don't know what happened. Why are you nodding your head for Michael? You get out of bed fucking half an hour late, you bollocks. <laughs> I missed the whole I missed the whole fucking bar thing anyway, but I'm sure you made some good points. Grand. I'm sure the lads are ringing you flat out. The lads are ringing you flat out. I basically want you to call my landlord is what I want you to do, Shane, and tell him all this. I want to give him the podcast and tell him all the above. Like like I have two landlords and they they, they, they the contrast and difference, lads, like is unreal. Like I've one guy who's totally working with you at everything. Mm. and he's been very accommodating and then of another guy who's literally he won't be listening to this so i don't really care but he's literally like he nearly wants everything like you know 
Yeah. Are you talking like he, about the Westbury, Johnny, and the long haul? Well, I didn't want to single which one out was, yeah. But yeah, sorry, the Westbury. No, but the uh, like, what I mean, I you're not you talking mean. about your, your, your apartment at home. You're talking about your two... Uh, oh, no, no, geez, yeah. my apartment's fine. No, no. But I mean, <clears throat> yeah, sorry, Michael, the two bars. But he, um, like, you've one guy who wants... He wants everything, like, you know, he's looking at you. But to play devil's advocate, it just shows, like, one guy clearly has a great mortgage and the other guy probably doesn't. Yeah. Like, it's not just as simple as one's mean and the other's not. One guy's in a position to give me a deal and the other's probably not. But I know because I know other clients of his, um, I know where he's not. And, he, and his uh, his manager told me, like, he's, he's, he's a lot of apartment buildings and he's literally people not paying him. And that was something else I wanted to bring up with you, Shane. I know of people and I've heard. And they've literally took advantage of this where they've just stopped paying rent. And the short, like that's getting kicked down to everyone else. And I said that to him yesterday in an email. I says, <clears throat> you want me to pick up the slack for other people? Like I've been making the effort all the way through the pandemic and doing the right thing by him, which his manager told me. He said, you are one of the good ones. You have actually been paying us something at some point. But then I threw it back at him yesterday. I said, yeah, because I'm the only one paying, you're trying to make up the, the shortfall on me. And <clears throat> I've seen that a lot, Shane. And I and I mean a lot, like where lads have literally just stopped paying rent, like Irish people as well, like have literally been ringing around looking for apartments. And you'd say, well, what's happening in your own apartment? Oh, I just stopped paying there. <laughs> so I'm looking for something yeah, else. I might I've move here. There. I've had friends of mine calling me up and, and asking me, obviously because I'm in real estate, but asking me when all this was going on, it's like, oh, did you ring your landlord and renegotiate your rent or are you paying rent? And I'm like, of course I'm paying rent, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still working, you know, and even if I wasn't, I mean, that landlord is still has the, the they own the apartment, so they still have yeah. to <clears throat> pay their mortgage. I mean, they're not going to stop paying their mortgage. Yeah, you know? and it's like, that is like, you heard people saying, and with all, I think we talked about this before, Michael, about the amount of uh, the, the amount of money you were getting on the dole on the welfare <laughs> was outrageous at the start. But it was outrageous because your rent was probably classed as outrageous or your rent was expensive. So if these people are getting this 1100 and then they're like, Jeez, I'm not paying rent still, you know, and, and I'm getting 1100 and now I'm going to, I'm going to dupe my landlord. And I don't know if you just got to talk about it there while I was out, but as Michael said, that's nearly where, you know, rent control, and that's where that landlord is going to have to get that back somewhere. And I said that to my landlord, just for the record, I have no objections for paying my landlord down the road. And this is what I've kind of said to him. But he literally wants it now, and he wants it like, <clears throat> like he's offering me, say, next year to pay certain percentage. But he wants me to start paying any deferred rent literally gen- next January. And I'm like, where? where? It's, they're not, this city, you, you said it there, Shane, Midtown is dead. I'm confident that New York's going to come back. And I think by October, November, we will see even a massive difference in people being around and, and stuff like that. But like right now it's 25%. They're closing at 10 o'clock. Like yeah. what is the, what, what's the 10 o'clock part, lads? Somebody explain to me what is the 10 o'clock part. Like if you're open at 25% yeah. and it's 4 a.m. licenses, give us midnight, give them one in the morning. Like, yeah, I don't it's get New it. York. The New York temp mentality is have your dinner at eight or nine o'clock and I might go out later on. Like now, like it's 10 o'clock. It's like being, it's like the eighties in Ireland on a Sunday or something. Next thing you'd be closing for the movies or something. It makes no sense, Michael. It's absolute, and it's killing bars. I'm sure you've seen it at times. You're in a place and you're getting going. The lads and Haswells at times there in the previous, before 
when there was a percentage loud in time, I've had friends that were in there and they're saying, you're just getting going. And next thing the lads are like, you know, I've got to wrap it up 10 o'clock at night. What difference? What, does the pandemic only come out at half 10? Does it like, does the COVID only come out at half 10 at night? Yeah, and, I, and, and the whole, I know I, people don't want to be listening to this. We can cut this out, but like, that's how you cause the house parties, lads. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock. It's like, come on, well, we're only going. There were, we were, I, I think we were spoke about it, Johnny. We were in Haswell's before in December, and it was 9.30. They had to stop music, Corpus 9, last call, 9.30, and you'd be gone at 10 o'clock. It was crazy. But even yeah, la- I, did a, I did a story last week about the, the reopening here, and Robert Holden, you might know, he's a council member here in, uh, in Queens. If you go to Long Island, right next door to Queens, it's at 50% capacity for indoor dining, and they have a, yeah. higher, they have a higher infection <clears throat> rate than the city mm. average. Yet indoor dining yeah. was banned here. I don't Eric, get us started so. on coma. <laughs> but yeah. like Finson had Finson had people in the other day, and they they said to him like, "Yeah, we're over from Hoboken." Like, and they're in, and they're like, they're kind of they're looking and going, "Are oh, you still doing that here? You're still doing the like, yeah. <laughs> no sitting at bars. You're not like they, there was a report on the news the other night, and they showed people sitting at bars and everything." Which are Michael the closer one, obviously we talked about before, like Tatona Avenue and McLean Avenue. Yeah, that's hilarious. Like that's just hilarious, is the word. Like if it's two different rules, but I guess there's a border everywhere. But good luck to any bars that are able to do anything anyway, and I'm happy for any bar that is able. I was no, up there and nobody's begrudging the bar in like in Hoboken or the one in Long Island or even McLean. But it's like New York is so intense. Like we're literally thirty minutes from it, and you're not allowed to have anybody. But like I said before, I just don't care when he does open and he's at 25%, it's like he's ignoring them places we just mentioned. Instead of looking at them and go, you know what, the 50% is working there. Shane, you said it there. It, like Midtown being dead. You could make the bars 100% capacity right now and it wouldn't make any difference. If anything, it'd be better because there'd be more bars and people would be spread out around. Yeah, like, yeah. So, that, But like, lads, he could have done that all summer as well and it wouldn't have made any difference either. Like, you know, What's that doing to the commercial property scene, Shane? The the indoor dining, the bars, the bars in particular. What's it doing to the prices here? Is are people are landlords just selling up, or are they going bust, or what's? Well, at the land, I mean, your advice as a broker today is to not sell because your 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 evaluation on your property is decimated. Because how do you how do you value a building? You usually valued it on income. You know how much that rent was paying whether it was the tenant was paying the rent or the um, residential tenant or the commercial tenant. So, I mean, if they're not there or to Johnny's point, if them tenants aren't paying today, I mean, you're not getting any income on that building. So how do you even value it? I mean, we're seeing, we're selling a building on 52nd street that at one point had maybe three or four years ago had an offer of 7.2 million. Now it's in at maybe four. 3.54, 3.54, you know, that's just the way the values have gone now in the city because it's just, there's, um, it, it's hard. I do fully believe that New York will come back as well. Obviously, I have no crystal ball to tell you when it's going to be, but I mean, everybody's still going to want to gravitate towards that city life and towards that excitement and that energy. It's not there right now. Mm-hmm. And that's what everybody's talking about. But of course, it's going to come back. I mean, there's only so much I think that people are going to take from, being out in the countryside and being out and having all that fresh air, they're going to want that excitement. They're going to want that energy that everybody loves to be in New York. And are you, how busy are you, Shane? You were saying that, that most nights you're showing properties. So, so have you been busy throughout the pandemic or how has it gone for you? 
Yeah, this has been the busiest I've ever been in my career. Yeah, um, it's phenomenal. Um, and it, it's going back to that earlier point where people are being opportunistic, you know, and a lot of times, and I love this phrase, um, fear breeds opportunity. Um, and people that haven't lost their jobs, people that have had good savings behind them, have been paying probably that rent in the luxury building or been paying that high rent in Manhattan couldn't afford to buy in Manhattan. So they had to pay that rent because they wanted to be there. They still see themselves being in Manhattan and they still see themselves being in New York on the long term. And they believe in New York as well. So they know that it's going to come back. So now is their chance, you know, but money is so cheap here. I mean, you're getting interest rates two and a half percent, 2.6 percent. I've seen interest rates at 2.3%, which is just phenomenal. Mm. So if you're one of these people, which there's a lot of money in the city still, and if you're one of these people who hasn't lost their jobs, who have savings for the down payment, then they're picking up incredible opportunities, you know, Um, and we've been flat out. It's been so busy now, and you'll probably not see this in the tabloids and in the reports for three or four months down the line of how busy we've been the last and um, probably two months, three months towards the end of 2020 is when it really started. And um, I mean, it's, it's very hard to even get an appointment in an apartment now in the city. Oh, and so you were saying that it, it, there's a big shift of people, first time buyers going from rent to buying straight out because they think there's more value there. Exactly. Well, you're paying your, your, your monthly all in between your, your debt on the mortgage and your common charges and taxes or your maintenance in a, in a co-op. I mean, it's, it's coming out to the same value as what your, the rent that you were paying, you know, so it just makes sense. Or you could chase, if you, if you want to stay in the rental market, then you just jump apartment, as you say, if you want. But you'll see it going a lot younger, I'd say, Shane, will you, the city? Like, you know, I mean, any, we've spoke about that before, like anyone in their mid-30s now or something like that. And then I've, I have friends of mine now, their kids, like living up in the likes of East Chester, West Chester, and their kids are just out of college. And now they're buzzing to get in and get value in the city. Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of them coming in as renters then as well. So it'll go very young, I would say, right? I mean, you can pick up a, a studio in the city now for, in some parts, 1500 You know, I've seen wow. it. And I was just, when you were, when you were offline there, uh, Johnny, I was just saying to Michael, I mean, I've moved friends of mine from Sunnyside into the city because yeah. they're paying less rent. <laughs> well, believe it. Well, believe it. It's 1500 Geez, I'd nearly get one in there and keep this one here, you know what I mean, just to save me on Uber. They're, they're out there and there's plenty of them now. They're not going to be fully amenitized buildings and they're not going to be brand new builds, but they're there. Yeah, yeah. I know I've seen some of them around Murray Hill and stuff like that and stuff, but I've even seen one in new buildings. I think it was Luke Yokus that sent me some there and they're like, you know, new buildings similar to what Michael's in, gyms and everything that are still in around like less than 2,000. Yeah, less than 2,000 for sure. That's mad, isn't it? Like, but hey, listen, it's good because they'll all buzz. They'll all be back in. They'll be hanging upside down in the mean fiddler, like you know, and they'll be like, "Yo, and I'm in the West Village for eighteen hundred way." You know? Yeah, I mean? it's great. You know, it's. I mean, it, we're okay as real estate brokers because the way I always look at it is, no matter if it's a down market or an up market, you're usually always leveling out at the same amount of transactions. There's always transactions <clears> happening, depending on the price point, it doesn't um, really affect us too much. Yeah, we're on commission off that number. But when you do the, the, the numbers out, it doesn't really fluctuate, you know. Um, we're always 
making transactions and there's always transactions happening depending not really depending on if it's a down market or an up market there's a lot happening around here now shane isn't there like in sunny side i see like there's a the new building's gone down here in 39th or something stuff like yeah, that They're coming all the way up along the sunny side's on fire <laughs> yeah <laughs> like the, the, sunny the, side. the um, trains coming in now is this tra- this la like this LIE train, is that going to be a stop there that you know of right there on 39th Street? There's nothing that's confirmed, but there's been a lot of chatter around it. Um, like that's I'm going doing... into Grand Central, isn't it? Like I remember, yeah. lads, that, that, that's been going on for... Exactly. I was working in any more as the Sandhog lads were in there and they had been working on the sunny side part. And Like that's even massive for the city. Now rather than going all the way to Penn Station, you're going to have an LI, a Long Island railway train going straight into Grand Central. Like, it's huge for that area, even, you know. Grand Central area is going to be really hopping. Like, with one Vanderbilt and that coming in there, it's massive. What's really interesting about Sunnyside is where you have these developers that are buying up these derelict or warehouses or, or tire factories that are probably closer towards the Long Island City side, towards 37, 38, 39th Street, and they're buying them for, for crazy numbers. And you try to think to yourself, well, what are they seeing? And I see, and I know this has been going on for centuries or decades as well, is the, the Sunnyside Yards project and building over the mm, Sunnyside yeah. Yards. In my mind, anyway, that will happen. I don't know at one mm. point, but it will happen. And that will just really put Sunnyside on the mark. I feel a lot of times Sunnyside gets overlooked. And it, if you're thinking Queens, usually it's Long Island City or Astoria. And no one even knows, especially if you're talking to people that are in Brooklyn or people that are in the city. They don't even know where Sunnyside is. They just think it's Queens and it's very far away. But in reality, it's 10, 15 minutes on the subway to Grand Central, you know, and it's a a great neighborhood. That Sunnyside Yards would be something amazing. I've covered it here with the the paper, obviously, but so, so like we have a lot of people listening in Ireland and the US here. So just Sunnyside Yards, it's a big uh, Long Island Railroad area where the trains pull in, the trains get serviced. There, I think there's like 30 lines there and it's right wedged there between, it's just uh, by the, it's just in between like Queens and the city. And what the city want to do is they want to basically build a kind of a town or a city on top of the rail line, which would be absolutely phenomenal. It's kind of like what they have in Hudson Yards. Yeah, they built on yeah. top of the rail line there. Yeah, eight and times it's just, the size of Hudson Yards. Huh? Except eight times the size. Yeah, of yeah, it would be absolutely huge. But I would imagine you're going to you're talking forty, fifty. It might take forty years, or it could, could take could take a couple of decades before it's off the ground. And there's a lot of there's a lot of pushback here from uh, from anti developers and, and people like that here that they don't want to see any kind of development going on here. But that would be that would be something something really exciting. Yeah, we're just trying to see a lot of it creep in into Sunnyside now, where even up in Barnet Avenue, they've they've um, approved a big 180 unit affordable housing and quote-unquote affordable housing uh, going in and Michael I know you've done a piece on the, the affordable housing recently I mean that's that's the biggest joke of them all really to call yeah, it yeah. affordable give people uh, a little insight there's they're building a new a, a new 143 uh, unit building in Astoria and 43 of the units are affordable housing and to qualify you have to to be to qualify for affordable housing, you have to earn at least seventy thousand dollars a year between seventy and a hundred thousand, and the going price for a one bed in this new affordable housing unit will be two thousand four hundred a month. So yeah, it's kind of uh, 
how, how does that affect everything, Shane? Uh, we, we wanted to get into before we finish up about uh, rent control and affordable housing. Does uh, my own view is from looking at rent control and fascinated by it in the big cities that you know government policy is to keep rent at a certain amount for people to make it more affordable. But from my research, the overall effect of that is it actually in, it actually stifles it suppresses the price and causes more demand and it, the net effect is that it actually increases the the rental prices per month in these big cities that implement rent control what are your own uh, what's your own view on it yeah i mean the biggest one i think for me is the 2019 tenant protection act that came in in june oh, yeah. um, and that was that a property owner is not allowed to take an apartment out of that stabilization Whereas before you'd have a lot of investors go in there, they would buy a building, just say it's a 10 unit building and four of the apartments would be stabilized. So the median or the average rent in that area, say it was $3,000, but your four of these apartments are making, are taking in $2,000 each. So if you had that stabilized tenant leave, um, then if you spent money to bring that apartment up to a standard, then you could take that apartment out of stabilization um, and destabilize the apartment, and then you're able to collect the market rate of $3,000. So then obviously you're bringing in more income to the building, your building is now valued a lot more, and then you can refinance and take your money out, or you can sell um, and, and make a lot of money out of it. Today, since that came in in 2019, you can't take an apartment out of stabilization now or out of rent control. So you're stuck on that $1,100 rent on that stabilized apartment where the market rent of that is probably $3,000. So what happens there, to say, for instance, I'm a landlord, I own the building, and Johnny's there in my stabilized apartment, and he's paying me $1,000. I know if I get Johnny out or if Johnny leaves, if I renovate that, I can collect $3,000 for that apartment. That's $2,000 extra mm-hmm. each month that I can collect. Now, with these new stabilization laws, even if Johnny leaves... And Johnny's been there for 30 years, so his apartment hasn't had new appliances. It might not have been painted. The floors probably haven't been touched. So this apartment needs capital improvements, and it needs to be brought up to today's standard. Johnny leaves, or Johnny passes away. I'm not going to touch that apartment. Why would I spend $100,000 on renovating that apartment when I can still only collect $1,000 for it? You know. So you have Johnny leaves, rent it out. Michael takes it over. He's delighted. He got a $1,000 apartment um, in a $3,000 area. Um, But the apartments run to the ground. Now you have 10 of these units in the entire building. They're all the same and they're all being run to the ground. The building's going to be deteriorating Mm. and you're not going to clean up the hallways. You're not going to replace the doors, the lighting. So now these buildings eventually are starting to crumble. You know, and who are you protecting then? Yeah. You know, that's that's my biggest thing. Is like you're not really thinking on it on a, a, mac, or a micro or mic, macro area. Um, thinking on it, you're just you're thinking you're you're saving yourself. Um, uh, you're you're trying to prevent um the homelessness situation, which is real, and which of course you don't want people on the street. But this is not the way to do it. Yeah, it sounds good in theory that, you know, and it does benefit some people, like, for example, if Johnny was in that apartment, he's only spending that amount every month. It's great. But as you said, that there, there's a, an effect then that the landlord isn't going to look after it. And the landlord generally, if he was making, he or she was making more money, 
he'd probably invest in buying new apartments and then increasing the supply, which would actually well, bring down the prices. Expense is going up every year. I mean, his water bills and his his garbage bills and his big one is his taxes is is going up every year. Like the, the real estate taxes in the city are are even outside, and the, and the boroughs are phenomenal. You know, and for the most part, I think everybody paints a picture of a, a property owner in New York as this big multi million dollar owner, which isn't true. Yeah. And especially the guys that I'm in contact with, they're usually just small mom and pop owners, you know, and they're regular people. Yeah, they're sitting on a lot of money of how much these buildings are actually worth, but they're they're usually cash poor, you know, and they're they're only doing enough to go to make it to go by, you know, and they're relying on this rental income to keep them afloat and to feed their own families, but they're not uh, being able to do that, and their expenses are going up every year, which is. It doesn't yeah. help anyone. But we had a, in our last place, we had a, it was only like six apartments in the block and it was just a woman there, a couple, an elderly uh, couple, they, they owned it and ran it. And when we were talking about people not paying the rent there earlier, she said that there was an apartment upstairs. They were all working, but because the moratorium came in for that you can't get kicked out, they just stopped paying their rent. And she was, yeah. she was distraught. She didn't know how she was. She had obviously had a mortgage on the building and she was just a regular, simple landlord, had, had a couple of tenants. And then the tenants were like, sure, we'll get away with this. There'll probably be some sort of bailout. We'll, you know, so she, she was losing her income. Like, I just felt so sorry for her at the time. I don't know how it panned out. Like, but as you say, like a lot of people are, they're not these big, huge landlords. A lot of them are mom and pop landlords. The biggest problem with that moratorium was, Michael, as well, that there was a lot of people that were in buildings and they were already acting up. And then they also took advantage of that. Yeah. Like it should have been cut off it, if it started that pandemic. Now in your case there, and that was, let's be honest about it. Not everybody's a bartender or a waitress or anything. Like they're the ones that are mostly, for, I don't, I'm probably off on this, but majority of people that are not in some sort of service industry are still working. So they were still getting something. Go to your landlord and look for something and they'll help you. But they were taking advantage of the moratorium. But there was people like there was a, there was people downstairs from here, and the landlord had literally just got them out in the January. They hadn't paid in nearly a year anyway. Previous to that, if they had been still in, and he'd court cases pending with them and everything, but if they'd have been still in when the pandemic hit, they would have come under that umbrella as well. And that's that was the biggest crime of the whole lot. And but like I say, people people getting eleven hundred on the dole and not paying their rent, or other people working. I don't think there was a landlord out there in general that wouldn't have worked with you in some shape or form. Because as Shane said, and it's no different in the bars, the bar, the landlords have been told, don't put your bar, don't put the bar owner out. You're crazy to put them out on the street. And it's the same with the tenants and stuff like that. So that's what I'm hoping anyway, that's, that I won't be put out on the street. <laughs> so Shane, what's your advice for people? Get in contact with you there on your, your Instagram. What are your social oh, uh, channels? I'll post it in the... <laughs> I posted in the intro anyway. So what's the, the advice? Just contact yeah. you for a deal. Real deal, Shane. <laughs> I, had a new handles, but, uh, I went back to just keep it short and sweet. It's Shane X Boyle. Uh, it's my first X and then my last name. Shane X And Instagram is probably the best way to get me. But yeah, I mean, New York, I mean, if, if you're opportunistic and, and you have been doing well, New York is... Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunities out there. It's very exciting. You're confident there's a bit of value there at the moment and a bit of opportunity, and uh, you think you'll, if, the city, you know the city will bounce back. 
Yeah, if you can understand the word value, yeah, in terms of what it used to be. <laughs> no People from Ireland might, might think it's crazy, but um, here, if, if you believe in it, then you, you're you're going to be here for a long term. And if you have uh, a very good financial standing, then now's the time for sure. Johnny, anything right, else? Boys. No, not much. I, um, I got to go to work. I got to go to work there. Is that the toilet I heard flushing? <laughs> Thanks, no, good. Thanks, really, Shane. Yeah, appreciate no, it. Thanks for that. That was brilliant. Yeah, be lads, uh, a lot of people would be interested in that now. That was excellent. Jeez, we be all, we'll be all hitting you up. And that's all for this week. Let us know what you think by leaving us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Long Haul Podcast. Shane can be contacted through his Instagram handle at shanexboil or on LinkedIn for any inquiries. Shane was in fact our second guest from Killy Beggs on the show, following on from our interview with former Donegal New York manager Donald Gallagher. That podcast and all the rest of our podcasts are up on thelonghaulpodcast.com as well as our YouTube channel and on all major streaming platforms. Please give the show a rating and subscribe. This will ensure that we can get more podcasts to you more often. Oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? And when we got inside the house, the drinks were passed around. The liquor was so awful strong, my head went round.